If you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, we are continuing on with the book of Acts. And uh, for me, this has been an enlightening study to see what was central and what was valuable to, uh, to the early church, what they focused on, the things they dealt with, how they dealt with them. And uh, so uh, I think today is going to be another one of those interesting and important and motivating and uh, powerful lessons for what we have here today. Before I read to you Acts chapter 18, and I'm going to read all of it in, in, uh, at one time, but before I do that, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, again, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are our Lord, our creator and sustainer and redeemer. You are our Lord. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word, that you would minister to us what you would have from this passage. We do have things on our mind from this past week that would distract us during this time. We have thoughts that will pop into our minds that would draw us away, draw our minds to something different, away from you and away from your word. We have things upcoming this week that might be challenging, that might be painful, that might be exciting, that might be uh, something that would draw our attention there. But we ask this morning that you would help us to focus on what we have, that we would look to your word, that we would look to you, that you would speak to us by your word, that you would do your work in your church as you have promised. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Acts chapter 18, and I am going to read uh, all of it together. Uh, We have read longer before, so... I think we read one that was like 52 verses, so this is like easy, right? No problem. All right, Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath... And tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. 
But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so here we have... Paul spending quite a bit of time in Corinth, and we have seen him travel from one place to the next and minister in one synagogue and into the next and one town to the next and all of that. And there's a little bit of a difference here. We're going to talk about some of those differences, how long he stayed there, and the fact that he had this particular vision. And I have wondered, and maybe you've wondered as you've read this, why the Lord gave him this vision. Why did, why did Jesus speak to him in this way and at this time? And we're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to look at our passage and kind of look at layers or threads or themes that are, that are developed throughout the passage. Normally, what I like to do is outline the passage according to events and then explain them that way. But this time, um, there, there were three different elements that, that were threaded kind of throughout that I want to pull out and I want to look at one at a time. And so we're not going to work from verse 1 to, uh, to verse 28 there. Uh, that's why I read them all to you. But I want to look at themes that are developed throughout the course of this chapter. And the first one is the old guard, the issue of old guard. And you're going to see that the next major point on your outline is the new guard. And so you can see kind of a transition idea there going on. We have the old guard. Of course, we're talking about Paul and Paul himself is wise and even strategic, right? He shows up in this new city, just like he's done so many times before. He goes to the synagogue, like he's done all these times before. There he can, he can preach directly from the scriptures, and they already know the scriptures, and so he can, he can work with what they already know. Uh, they're his people, and he knows that the gospel is to go to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And so that's why he does that. So he shows up in town, and he ministers there in the uh, synagogue in Corinth, and has some success until he finally gets run out of there, which is also kind of par for the course, 
right? Every time he goes to the synagogue and preaches, sometimes it's a, a one week or a few weeks, but he eventually gets run out. And this is why I say he was wise and strategic. First of all, he went to the Jews first, as he was supposed to. He could reason from the scriptures with them, whereas with Gentiles, you would have to start from scratch, which he's willing to do also. But he goes to them, and then what happens when he gets run out here? He moves next door. Didn't go far at all. Didn't go across town. Right? Didn't go somewhere far to, to create space between him and the Jews who were persecuting him and threatening him or whatever. He moves next door. Right? And so you can imagine if, uh, if his office is right next door to the synagogue, he's got contact with the same people every day anyway. And when they would show up on the Sabbath or when the, the rulers of the synagogue or the rabbis were there or whatever, he's got ongoing relationship and communication with them. And so he can continue to minister. It's not just a one-time shot and then he moves on. He's there and he wants to continue to minister. And so I, I think he's, he's a little bit wily that he, you know, yeah, I'll leave. See, <laughs> he moves next door and there he is set, set up shop. And now he's able to minister freely uh, in, in an environment where he's not limited by the rules of the synagogue and, and what the synagogue officials were going to do. And yet he's able to minister to the same people while at the same time ministering to Gentiles. And so we can see that he's, he's wise and uh, even strategic. We also see that he's obedient. Right? He's, he's an obedient apostle. He, he has followed uh, this course that the Lord laid out for him when he was first drawn to Christ back in Acts chapter 9. He's followed this course that has led to his beating and all of these other things out of obedience, right? And even here, he has this, this vision and Jesus says to him, uh, don't be afraid, go on speaking, don't be silent, right? The, the point is, stay here and keep ministering. And what does he do? What does the very next verse say? And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That was new, right? That, that kind of time for him to spend there. If you kind of think back in your mind or this afternoon, look through where he's been before. It was a couple weeks here, a few weeks there, maybe a, maybe a day there. Or he was a short period of time in each of these instances. And he would move on uh, to the next thing when he got run out of town or after a period of time had passed. Maybe he stayed for some months. This is 18 months. He spends a good amount of time. And so he's obedient, right? The Lord appears and says, keep working, keep working. I've got a lot of people in this city that I'm going to draw to myself. Keep, keep speaking. And so he stays and he does it. He's obedient, right? And uh, he's obedient in the face of difficulty. I, the third point there is that he's fearful. And probably some of you are thinking, Paul, really? You know, was, was Paul fearful? Well, I have a couple of reasons for thinking that Paul was fearful. First of all is that Jesus wouldn't have given him a vision telling him, don't be afraid, unless he was afraid. Right? It makes sense that that would be the cause of Jesus showing him saying, don't be afraid. Right? Keep doing what you're doing. I will protect you. Don't be afraid. Paul was afraid. Right? That's what would call for a vision like this. And it also makes sense that that uh, Paul would be a little bit gun-shy, right? This isn't his first rodeo. He's, he's been down this road before. He's suffered before, right? I think of, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got all the, all the confidence in Christ. He's, he's got years of experience walking with the Lord, knowing that the Lord will protect him. He, he's, he's got as, as close a relationship and, and as great a trust in the Lord as anybody, and yet he's been down this road so many times that he's developed a little bit of fear. And uh, just to replay in our minds kind of what he's been through, right? On his first missionary journey, he was driven out of Antioch of Pisidia after just a couple of Sabbaths, 
That's all the way back in chapter 13. From there, he ran off, uh, went from there to Iconium, and in Iconium, they attempted to stone him. A little scary. Still on his first trip, right? This is the maiden voyage kind of thing. They attempt to stone him. And from there, they, they flee to Lystra, and uh, Paul and Barnabas, they show up, and, and what happens? First, people wanted to worship them. They wanted to offer sacrifices to them because they had healed this guy and, oh, they must be gods. And, and it's, it's literally one verse from where the people go from wanting to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas to instead dragging him out and stoning him because these Jews had followed him with, uh, with a, a report about him. And so he ends up being stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Still on the first trip, right? He's starting to get the message of what it's going to be like. Right? He's already been uh, run out of town. He's been beaten. He's been threatened with stoning. He's been now stoned and left for dead. And on his second journey, things aren't entirely different. Shows up in, you know, in Philippi. And what happens there? He gets beaten. You know, he gets beaten with rods. He gets thrown in jail, sitting in the stocks with his feet in the stocks. Right? He's getting the message of what this is going to be like. So even on the second journey, you have the same thing. So then they go down to Thessalonica. What happens there? Well, the crowds rushed the house where he was staying, <laughs> trying to get him, right? So a, a mob attacks him again, same thing there. On to Berea, right? Uh, the Jews from Thessalonica stir up the crowds against him, right? He gets to Athens and things are pretty good. They only mocked him, right? That was an easy day, right? They only mocked him. So you see this course of what he's gone through, that he has suffered very greatly. And, and you can imagine that after all of that, you'd be a little gun shy of... I'm going into a new town and a new synagogue. I'm going to open my mouth and proclaim boldly. Eventually, the beatings will come, right? He's expecting that. But I'm not just conjecturing because listen to what Paul says about this trip in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. This is what Paul says. He writes to the same people that he was just with, and he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So, Luke seems to be kinder to Paul than Paul is to himself. Paul says, I was scared when I was there. I was weak, I was trembling, and I was fearful. And Luke just says, here are the circumstances. And by the way, Jesus showed up and said, don't be afraid. (laughs) And so Paul was fearful. And you can imagine that he would be fearful in that kind of context. And so uh, that's not the end of the story, but you can see that here we have the old guard. He's, He's wise. And he's strategic. He knows how to do ministry. He's been obedient, right? Even, even to the point of pain and suffering. But he's got a little bit of fear going on there, right? He's, he's uh, road weary. He's been there before. And so that's the old guard. Well, now we have the new guard. The new guard comes onto the scene. And you, we meet a couple of new people in our passage here. First of all, Aquila and Priscilla, this faithful couple, right? And uh, our passage here says that, that uh, Paul met them, uh, Priscilla, or excuse me, Aquila, who is a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Well, uh, history tells us that uh, that happened in A.D. 49. We know that Claudius told all the Jews they had to leave Rome in A.D. 49. And the reason was because of um, this guy named um, Crestus who was stirring up the, the Jews. Well, that sure sounds a lot like Christus. Maybe it's just a spelling error. I don't know. But maybe this was, this was a response to problems that was happening amongst the Jews, riots and whatnot that were happening at the time uh, and being raised up. But the result is, long and the short of it, the result is that uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who are Jews, have to leave Rome, and they leave under that time. So that would have been A.D. 49, and they, they are here in Corinth. 
By the way, history also tells us about this guy, Gallio, who's the, the proconsul of Achaia. He had a very famous brother whose name was Seneca, who was a Stoic philosopher. Very well known. So very well known family, very well known. And uh, Gallio became proconsul in AD 51. So we kind of know where we are in history with these things that are, that are referenced from extra, extra biblical sources. And as rabbis at the day were, were trained to have some sort of occupation, some sort of trade so that they could, they could offer their services for free. Well, Paul's was tent making and turns out that Aquila and Priscilla were of the same trade. So they were, they were Jews. Uh, they were believers and they were of the same trade. So Paul stayed with them and he worked for them, uh, worked with them for some time, right? While he was doing that, he was there with them. Really, he only had free time on the Sabbath to go and minister. And so every Sabbath he would go into the synagogue and he would teach and, uh, and reason with the Jews and, uh, and do that from, from the synagogue. And so Priscilla and Aquila show up in other letters. Paul refers to them in 1 Corinthians 16 and, and in Romans 16 and 2 Timothy 4. And so here's a faithful believing Jewish couple who have uh, taken Paul in, in a sense, and they've ministered to him, they've, they've befriended him, and he's found fellowship with them to be able to uh, live and work with them and minister alongside them. And you're going to see their faithfulness uh, appear a little bit later on in the story. So we had, first of all, that faithful couple, and then we have a man come on the scene in the very last paragraph whose name is Apollos. And he, was, uh, uh, he had great potential. He was an eloquent man. Right, he was uh, he was from the city of Alexandria in Egypt, which is a very powerful and important city. Powerful in the sense of thinking, knowledge, philosophy. Philo of Alexandria. Uh, Philo was a great philosopher, first century, by the way, Jewish philosopher who was sort of blending Greek philosophy with his with his Jewish beliefs. But he he lived at the same time, and he was from Alexandria, and and so we have that city, which was a very uh, important city, influential as as regards philosophy and thinking and whatnot and and rhetoric. They really focused on speaking skills and how to persuade people with the way you speak and the things that you say and even the things you do with your hands and all of those things. So it was a city of learning and knowledge. And by the way, there was a great uh, library there, the Library of Alexandria, that burned down. And uh, they lost about 400,000 works when that burned down. And so there's a great deal of, uh, of knowledge from antiquity that just vanished when, uh, when that library was destroyed. And so anyway, that's Alexandria. And it says this Apollos was a native of Alexandria and uh, he was an eloquent man. He was well-spoken and he was competent in the scriptures, right? Powerful in the scriptures, the Greek says. And so the idea is he's a Jewish man who uh, knows his old Testament very well. He's able to teach it. He's powerful. He's eloquent in it. He's been instructed in it, we're going to see. And he's come from a place where they are taught to think, taught to reason, and taught to persuade people. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. So not only is he Jewish, but he knows about Christ. Right? He, he teaches accurately the things of Jesus. And so this is a, this is a great man of great potential who's able to uh, teach forcefully and he's able to reason very well and he's able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so here's a, a powerful guy and a, and a very uh, important character that's gonna, gonna, going to appear a little bit later on in not, not really in this story so much but in other letters. He was a smart guy and the Lord had a hold of his heart. But there was something missing something missing in his teaching. And by the way, we don't know what that was that was missing. It says that he, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. So there were some things lacking, and our passage doesn't really tell us what those things were. But it was evident enough that even though he was preaching and teaching accurately, yet there was something missing. And so here you have Priscilla and Aquila come back on the scene. And this is interesting to me what they do. Because they could have rebuked him for his uh, misunderstandings or what was lacking in his teaching. They They could have rebuked him. They could have confronted him on that, you know, pull him aside and confront him on that. They could have, uh, they could have corrected him in front of other people, but that's not what they did. None of those things is what they did. They heard him preach, and so they pulled him aside, and they laid out for him more clearly the way of the Lord. And so they, they were gentle, and they, they pulled him aside, and they taught him. They, they instructed him, here's what's lacking they were, they were gentle, and they didn't do it in public. They didn't, they didn't blast him or anything like that. And I think it's because they saw him as a great potential co-worker. And what a minister, someone who knows the word like that and has the capacity to persuade people and, and convince people and reason from the Scriptures and, and has a heart for the Lord like this. They pull him aside. They reason with him. And the result is great. The result in his own ministry. But I want to focus for a second just on Aquila and Priscilla and how they did that and the encouragement that there's there. Some of us are gifted in different ways. Some of us uh, see very clearly to the heart of the issue and, and we feel like, I just need to say that thing. I'm just going to say that and uh, this person needs to be corrected. Others of us, you know, maybe don't like uh, confrontation so much or whatever, but our method is slightly different or maybe our method is Never really to get around to it. Yeah, I saw that something was lacking, but, well, <laughs> I guess eventually it'll, it'll clear up, right? Some of us are a little bit like that. But Priscilla and Aquila were gentle and loving, and they, they were able to pull him aside. They were able to explain to him and lay out in a way that was helpful, that didn't humiliate him, didn't destroy him, but instead built him up and equipped him to be a powerful servant of the Lord, a powerful minister of the gospel. And so I see that and I'm encouraged by that, this faithful couple ministering to, to this man, Apollos, in such a way that benefits them. And, and you can see that uh, our, our third point there is helpful servant. He becomes a very helpful uh, servant. Now, again, I said I, I don't know what was lacking exactly in Paul's teaching, and no one does. The, the scholars speculate and wrote pages on it, and I don't want to get into that right here because they're just speculating, and I don't really want to do that. But but um, but what I do want to emphasize is the fact that he was teaching, and he was teaching teaching accurately, but there was something lacking. What was missing in his understanding? There was something, and we don't know. There was something missing, something lacking in his understanding. It was incomplete, and that's what Priscilla and Aquila were able to step in and fill so that he would be... Uh, mentored so that he would be more effective in in his preaching and in his teaching. And their mentoring had its effect on Apollos. You you can imagine the differing effects of someone rebuking you, publicly maybe, in front of other people maybe, versus someone pulling you aside and explaining to you the way more fully. Or dealing with this on a more personal level, you're going to have a vastly different result 
And that is true in, in his life. We see that he was helpful, right? That, uh, that he later on after this, he wished to go, verse 27, wished to cross to Achaia, which was where Corinth was. This episode, by the way, is happening in Ephesus. He wished to cross over to Corinth. The brothers encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so here, his, his skills and his abilities and his knowledge and his gifting has now been given the full message and given direction. And we have a man who is very helpful, very useful, and uh, actually, it doesn't say so. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. But uh, Martin Luther was one of the first ones to suggest that he thinks Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. Just the way he communicates, his ability to persuade, his power and understanding of the scriptures, and uh, the, the ability to refute the Jews in public that way. Um, maybe he wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't know. and I'm, I just think it's interesting. He was definitely a powerful uh, figure in the New Testament. So here we have, just to recap where we've come from, we've got, we've got the old guard who's Paul. He's got skills. He's got abilities. He's got gifting. Right? He ha- he's obedient. He's got great wisdom. But he has been beaten a lot. He's gone through this a lot. And he's suffered a lot. And so he's willing to go through it again. But there's enough fear there. There's enough trembling there that he requires a message from the Lord to keep him going. And here you have this new guard developing of Aquila and Priscilla. And you can imagine 18 months living with Paul. They probably learned a thing or two. Right? I would love to be mentored in that kind of capacity. And you see the result that they're effectively ministering to Apollos, who himself becomes an effective teacher also. So these are the characters and these are the actors that are, that are in this passage here, and we see them developing. But I want to get to this final point about the Word of God, because this is another thread that goes through this whole thing. First of all, we have the Word of God encouraging Paul. Right Here Paul was ministering... And got, you know, he's, he, the, the same thing's happening with the synagogue. The same path is happening again. This, he's been down this road before. It usually results in some more scars and some more travel by foot to the next town with Jews chasing you. He knows what's going on. And he gets this word from the Lord there in verse 9 and 10. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And I have many in this city who are my people. And so this same Paul who knew very well what we read back in chapter 14 that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom needed a message from the Lord. Needed a message of encouragement. Paul. Paul needed a message of encouragement. That, that makes me feel a little bit better because sometimes I need a message of encouragement. And I kind of ask myself, man, what's wrong with me that I'm so weak that I would need to be encouraged or that I would be, you know, that, that I would be susceptible to this or that or that I would get tired, weary, and need encouragement? Well, the Apostle Paul did. And the fact is all of us need that. All of us need that at different times. We need some encouragement. We need someone to come alongside of us. We need someone to be gentle like Priscilla and Aquila. We need a word from the Lord. Now, I want to distinguish between the word from the Lord that Paul here received. You shouldn't expect to receive a word like this from the Lord. He was an apostle. He had seen Jesus face to face on more than one occasion. 
He had been directly instructed by him. He had been evangelized by, by Jesus. Paul was in a different situation than you and I are in. So him receiving a word from the Lord at this time is very different than you or me receiving a word from the Lord when we have the completed Bible and we are not Paul or any other apostle. And so the word from the Lord for us will be from his word. It will arise from what we read right here. It will arise from what we hear, the the encouragement that we hear from a brother or sister in Christ who tells us, directs us to the word. It will arise from our time of teaching and preaching together. That's where the word from the Lord will come from. We're not going to hear anything audible. We're not going to hear anything that's aside from this. As if our Bible is closed and we're going to hear from God over here. The encouraging word from the Lord comes from Scripture. Paul was in a very unique situation. But he needed this word from God. And he got it. And it must have bolstered him up. It must have encouraged him because he was able to stick it out for 18 more months. Or 18 months total. And he had a very fruitful ministry. He didn't be silent. He continued to speak. He didn't run off in fear. But he stayed because God said, Jesus said, don't be afraid and I am with you. I am with you. How often we need to hear that. I don't know offhand how many times it is said in scripture, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But in Christ, that is finally and fully and ultimately true, Christian. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Paul was encouraged by that. So Paul is able to keep on. He's able to continue ministering. He's able to open his mouth again. It's always his mouth that gets him in trouble. He's able to open it again. He's able to reason with them from the scriptures again, which is going to get him in trouble. And he continues to do it, knowing that Jesus is with him. And more than just that Jesus is with him. Jesus says, I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Oh, people will attack him, but they won't attack him to harm him. He will survive it. He will get through it. Jesus will see him through that. And by the way, this is a promise that's carried through throughout the remainder of the book of Acts. He has troubles. He's arrested. He's got all kinds of things that go on. But the Lord will get him to his end where he's going to go to Rome and testify there. And so he knows that that no one will attack him for harm because that's what the Lord told him. And there's a third element of encouragement in there. Not only did Jesus say, I will be with you, and not only did he say, I think, therefore, no one will attack you to harm you, but thirdly, I have many in this city who are mine. And Paul, with his missionary heart, with his evangelist heart, with his Christian heart, thinking about the city of Corinth and thinking about all those there who are separated from Christ, who don't have the word of God proclaimed to them. And for Jesus to say, I have many in this city who are mine. They've not heard of me yet, but they're mine. Paul's got to stick it out. He's got to stick it out. Because he has a heart for those people, and he wants those people to know Christ like he knows Christ. They want, he wants those people to have peace with God like he has peace with God. And so what a motivator that would cause him to stay for another year and a half to minister in that capacity. So the word of God was encouraging. And it was encouraging to Paul, who needed encouragement. But it's also central to the ministry that he 
uh, and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila were carrying out. Paul's ministry consisted of reasoning with the Jews and testifying to them from the Scriptures. That was his ministry. He had his Bible open. This was his ministry, was to teach people from the Bible, to reason with them from Scripture. He wanted to do that as much as he could, but initially he had to work until Timothy and Silas uh, showed up, uh, probably with money, so that he wouldn't have to do that. And so he can, when they showed up, then he committed his time fully to teaching and preaching. He was consumed with, he was devoted to, he was busy teaching and preaching God's Word. In verse 11... We see what he did for those 18 months that he stayed there in Corinth. He was teaching the Word of God among them. The Word of God was central to his ministry. That's what he was focusing on. And when Apollos later on eventually went to Achaia, went to Corinth to minister there, what did he do? He spent his time strengthening, encouraging, helping the disciples, and soundly refuting the Jews publicly from Scripture. He had his Bible open. That's how he did his ministry. The Bible's essential for ministry. It's, it's central to all that we do here at Parkside. And I, I like to tease that at Parkside Bible Fellowship, Bible is our middle name. And that's, that's only partially a joke. It really should be at the center of all that we do. And we try to keep it at the center of all we do. Our connect groups, our Sunday schools, our, our other times that we have, our preaching and teaching, our conversations with each other. We try and keep the, the Bible at the center. And uh, may that be the reality because... Too often, ministries get into focusing on other things than the Word of God. Maybe they want to help here, or they want to make sure this is taken care of, or they want to provide this thing. But if it's not driven from the Word of God, if it's not about the Word of God, if it's not centered upon and built from the Word of God, then it is ultimate vanity. It's not ministry as it is conceived in Scripture. Where else are we going to go, by the way? To hear about what our condition really is. To hear that we are in need before God. You're not going to find that reading, uh, I would say, the newspaper, but we we don't have, we have one day a week, I think we have a newspaper now. Reading the internet, you're not going to find out the true, your own true condition. Or watching Fox News or CNN, either one. You're not going to find out the true, you'll hear things that will indicate it, but you only truly know that from the Word of God. And so it's our job, it's our task as a ministry, as a church, to be reminding each other of that. And where else are we going to go to find the remedy? Not on Fox News, not on CNN. The remedy is Christ, and we find Christ here. And so this is why we focus on teaching and preaching God's Word. And thirdly, the Word of God points to Christ I'm really enjoying our Sunday school class that uh, that we have going on and uh, and then actually seeing the elements from that Sunday school class the the point of the class is that all of scripture is is unified it's tied together and we have quibbled over how to word this but essentially by the ministry of Christ the kingdom of God and how how he brings about redemption how Jesus is the redeemer who uh, who redeems and that's the message from Genesis 1 that we were looking at today all the way to the end scripture is about and points to Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished and where else will you hear that and our teaching has to be focused on that truth of pointing everyone to Christ. 
See, I could actually, I could accurately teach the things from Isaiah 30. I just flipped, I don't even know what's there. I can't even tell you. I just flipped to it. I could accurately teach you, after a little study, the things that are, uh, that are true about, from Isaiah 30. But if it doesn't end up pointing you to Christ, there's something lacking. And I expect a Priscilla and Aquila to pull me aside. And we should. Because the Bible is about Christ. It points to Christ. It's about Him. And Luke, who, uh, who is our author here, says the very same things in Luke chapter 24. He says a couple of different times that all of Scripture points to Christ. Jesus leads a Bible study with the people on the road to Emmaus. And what does He teach them? All of Scripture points to Me. He meets with the, with the disciples after the resurrection. And what does He teach them? All the things concerning Himself from the Old Testament. The Bible's about Him. It points to who he is and what he's done. And if we don't understand who he is and what he's done, we cannot understand any particular passage like Isaiah 30. And so the word of God points to Christ, and we see that consistently uh, throughout the message here. Paul's Paul's message in uh, verse 5, he was occupied with the word, and what was he doing? Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. That was his message, the Christ is Jesus. And what was Apollos, Apollos concerned with in verse 28, the end of the chapter, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. The fact that that's a bookends on this chapter tells us that is a central theme here. This is about Christ. The word of God that we teach to people is about Christ. The place we lead people to when we teach scripture is Christ. And if we don't lead them to Christ, then we've missed we end up being like Apollos in the beginning where he needed to be filled in. So Paul and Apollos' message both were that the, the Christ, the expected one, the Messiah from God, the one who's going to come as the deliverer, the one who's going to finally obey in our place and bear the penalty for our sin that the Jews were expecting is Jesus. And let me proclaim him to you. And by faith in him, you can have your record uh, cleansed and your, your sin paid for And you can have his righteous record before God. By faith in Christ is that possible and in no other way. So we have some takeaways. Just a a few things I want to focus on here at the end. Some of you are the old guard. Older, older. I'll say older guard. Amen. (laughs) That's all relative. It's just a number anyway, right? But some of you have been in church for a long time. Some of you have been in this church since this building was built, right? I won't ask you to raise your hands. A few of you have. From the beginning, you've been here a long time. Or maybe it's not this church. Maybe it's another one. But you've been in church a long time. And you've been in ministry. And you've served in Awana. And you've led Bible studies. And you've discipled people. And you've, done, you've been in ministry a long time. And you've got wisdom. And you've got skills and abilities. And you've got knowledge that you've accumulated. And you've, you've been very useful in ministry. And maybe you've gotten tired. Maybe, maybe you've been hurt due to, due to neglect, sometimes from leadership. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a harsh word or some situation that blew up or, or some other circumstance that has benched you, that has caused you just to say, I think I'm just going to hang out here in Corinth, nice and quiet, not get beat up again. Not jump back in the fray. And my encouragement to you is the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. 
continue speaking or start speaking again. Don't be quiet. There, there is so much wisdom and experience in this room and, and, and very often, for one reason or another, we get to a point in life where we say, okay, I've done that enough. I've got the t-shirt and the scars to prove it. I'm all done. And my encouragement to you is, get back in the game. My encouragement is, the Lord is with you. Don't be silent. Continue to speak. Start speaking again. We have younger people who need to be mentored. It doesn't have to be an official thing. That brings us to our second point. Some of us are the new guard, the younger guard. Maybe some, uh, maybe, maybe some education, maybe some experience, maybe some zeal, uh, maybe a, a degree of wisdom, maybe, maybe eloquence, uh, have been accurately instructed in the way. And yet there, there needs to be possibly some training. Possibly we, the younger guard needs some direction, needs some help, or maybe they, maybe they understand it accurately to a point, but they need it to be filled in. And so that's an exhortation for both. Young guard, be willing and open to that. Don't, don't neglect that. Don't be unwilling to listen. You're the young guard. And the ministry of the old guard to you will, will bear fruit. And older guard, there are people who need your ministry in their lives. They need your years of experience and wisdom to, to if nothing else, to comfort them. You are okay young parent who hasn't slept, you're not going to lose your mind. You'll feel like you're going to lose your mind for maybe a few years. We need hope sometimes. Hope that comes with age and walking with Christ. Not just age. Age and walking with Christ. And so that's an exhortation to the younger guard. But regardless of old guard or new guard, the power of the ministry is that God is at work through His Word and the Gospel to raise up new believers and to expand the kingdom. He is at work through His Word. Our ministry is focused on God's Word. Our training is focused on God's Word. We are learning <clears throat> learning to see the Gospel of Christ as central to the message of all of Scripture. And the Lord is drawing people to Himself by His Word. This isn't a collective effort in the sense of you cover that, I cover this, and we will go out and it will be accomplished. This is all God's work. He's just recruiting us into what He's already doing. He's already given us the Word. He's just recruiting us to that. And so my, my desire is that we would all enter into this kind of ministry of God's Word, ministering it to one another. How do you encourage someone? You point them to the Word, and not just by quoting a verse to them. You have to point them to the Word, point them to Christ. That's a challenge. Direct people to Christ. When someone comes to you with a crisis, direct them to Christ. In Him are all the promises fulfilled. Even this suffering point in your life, Jesus is the one who meets that. So we need to direct people to Christ. We need to learn how to do that. It is not easy, and it's not our first uh, go-to option. It's not our default to direct someone to Christ through His Word. But that's, that, this is what I want to be about. I, I, 
I want to see us developing these sorts of things. I want to see us lifting Christ up in relationships so that if someone comes to me with a problem in their life, that I can direct them to Christ and He can do the work by His Word. And I don't have to be a genius and figure out what smart thing to say to them because I'm not and I don't know the smart thing to say to them. And neither do you except to point them to Christ. And so that's the exhortation really for all of us. There are some who are still outside of this. There are some who either have yet to hear about the the completed full uh, payment for our sins in Christ and righteousness that there is to be found in Christ or are keeping it stiff-armed. But I'll tell you what. God has many in this city who are His. And so we may have We may have shared five times with this person, 50 times with this person or the people around us. I find encouragement by knowing that it is God who is ultimately sovereign over these things and He is the one who looks and sees, I have many people in this city who are mine. And so I can just share. I don't have to win people over by my wit and wisdom. Christ will do His work. He will draw people to Himself through His Word through his gospel. So that's my encouragement. And that's the, that's the encouragement for all of us this morning is that he is at work. Some of you are tired and, and, and you're, you're, even now you're thinking back on the wounds that you have received. He is with you. No one will attack you to harm you. I can't really promise that. No one will harm you spiritually. No one will be able to destroy you. You may get attacked and harmed, but you'll be, you'll be protected in your inner man. But he is with you. And he is at work, and he will use you to draw others to himself. So don't be silent. Open your mouth and speak. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the one at work in drawing people to yourself. And you gave energy to a veteran missionary like Paul, who was flagging for a moment, fearful and weak, trembling. And you gave energy and courage to him. And you used him mightily. What a, what a, what a great ministry for a year and a half. And uh, people coming to Christ, people being baptized, people being discipled, the word going forth and the church being established. What a great ministry because you encouraged him. And so I thank you for that encouragement. And I thank you for the fact that your word teaches us about Christ. And I may, I may know your word, a person may know your word, but not see how it points to Christ. I pray that we would be filled in in that regard, that we would be like Apollos, able to teach and able to preach powerfully, not just accurately and truly in limited ways, but fully the things concerning Christ from the Scripture, that you would draw many to yourself through the proclamation of, uh, of your word, the proclamation of the gospel, both on a Sunday morning and in our personal conversation. I thank you that it is your word that is at work. I thank you that it is your power. You are the one who draw those to yourself. We get to speak. We get to be the mouthpiece. We get to take the gospel to people, and you do your work of drawing them to you. And I do pray. I, I don't know who those are in this community who, uh, who, are, um, who are yours but don't yet know you. But I pray that you would even use Parkside to draw them to yourself. I pray that you would use 
all the Christians in our community, all who truly know you, who, uh, who, who believe the Bible and preach Christ, may you use them to draw these others to yourself. Father, I'm encouraged, and I, I don't have to um, be strong in myself, and I don't have to be the one to accomplish the work. I want to preach Christ. We want to preach Christ. So, Father, I do pray that you would do your work. Thank you for this time and your word and these truths that we've read about, the encouragement that they are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If you want to pray with someone, there will be a family up here to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you all and you are dismissed.